Welcome back to Cultural Projection, a cultural geography podcast. In this episode, Crash Landing on North and South Korean Culture, hosted by Andy McKenzie, Camila Chen, and Janella Serino, we're going to be analyzing the popular Netflix Korean drama Crash Landing on You. Crash Landing on You is a fictional Korean drama series about a South Korean CEO and billionaire Yoon Seri, who accidentally paraglides her way into North Korea. She ends up meeting a North Korean soldier named Ri Jong-hyuk, who tries to help her return back to her homeland. Though it focuses on the romantic plot between the two main characters, the backdrop of these two different regions of Korea plays a huge factor in the relationship. We will be focusing on the cultural disparities of the North and South and how that affects space and place for Koreans by tying together episodes 2, 11, and 12 of the series and academic research to back it up. We will briefly discuss the history of the division of Korea and how the North and South differ based on their level of modernization and the main reasons for their differences. Pop culture's impact on South Korea and the influence of demilitarization on North Korea. When Japan was defeated in World War II, Korea was no longer under Japanese rule. The Soviet Union owned the North and the U.S. owned the South, with the land being split up at the 38th parallel. Though both regions differed, the two Korean governments shared a common goal, but it was an antagonistic one, to remove the other by any means necessary. Though North Korea was much more enthusiastic to unify Korea under their government than the South, and thus the Korean War in 1950 occurred. Communist leader Kim Il-sung led the invasion, and it wasn't until they reached Seoul that the U.S. prepared to aid South Korea in the war, with then-President Harry Truman stating that the attack on Korea makes it plain beyond all doubt that communism has passed beyond the use of subversion to conquer independent nations. This was a war that wasn't just the North versus the South, but the East versus the West, communism versus democracy. On July 27, 1953, an armistice agreement was signed by President at the time, William Harrison, and Kim Il-sung's representative, Nam Il, signifying the end of the Korean War. This war solidified the separation between the North and the South with the creation of the Korean Demilitarized Zone, or the DMZ, right along the 38th parallel. This zone spanned two kilometers north and south of the 38th parallel, representing the country's almost unification. The DMZ is an important setting in Crash Landing on You, as it's where the two main characters first meet. Their character setup already gives an idea of how different they are, both as people and as North and South Koreans. They are perfect stereotypical representations of their born region, as well as the different levels of modernization in both countries. Sari is a CEO of her own company, Sari's Choice, as well as heiress to her father's multi-industry company, making her a chable which basically means rich family in Korean. Jonghyuk is a North Korean army officer and son to the director of the General Political Bureau, making him a top figure in North Korea as he is part of a politically powerful family. Their characterizations are developed from the stereotypes that are placed on them. These stereotypes reveal the disparities between them culturally, especially the level of modernization in each region. Stereotypes play a huge role in the characterization of Seri and Jonghyuk, and how that translates into the places they represent, as well as the levels of modernization in North and South Korea. In episode 2 of the series, there's a scene where Jonghyuk is cooking for Seri using various old kitchen machinery, such as a manual noodle maker when cranked, 
Dough is separated into noodles and a stovetop that is lit with fire from matches in order to make a meal. Another relevant scene is the montage of the village Jonghyuk lives in, showing the architecture of nearly rundown homes, dirt landscape, villagers wearing mismatched clothes, which is a sign of having to have bought or used secondhand clothes, use of salt crocks to store food, and women on the shore using water from the ocean to wash their cabbages. Then there's the scene where Sari is left all alone in Jonghyuk's house. He tells her only financially well-off people own cell phones, and if she needs to call him, he refers to a wired telephone. She calls him while he's at work and asks how she can take a hot bath, and Jonghyuk explains the process in which you have to hang a plastic covering over a tub filled with hot water. In his bathroom, there's no shower, bathtub, sink, nor toilet. These scenes play into the slow and inefficient and not-wanna-be capitalist stereotypes placed upon North Koreans by foreigners. The slow and inefficient stereotype is the idea that North Koreans can't keep up with modern standards. What's considered old technology is new and groundbreaking. The smartphone doesn't seem like much of a foreign concept as the norm is a telephone, or not having one at all. This ties in with a not-wanna-be capitalist stereotype in which the idea that capitalism is the key to moving forward as a society, and not adopting that system will lead to falling behind. Therefore, the space in which this village Jonghyuk resides in is seen as old-school and inefficient. It plays into the idea that third-world practices, as these are viewed and considered as, are inferior to developments made because of capitalism and industrialization. Because North Korea isn't up-to-date on technological advancements, they're seen as inferior to outsiders. This is because North Korea sees modernization as taboo. This is evident in the scene near the end, where the episode where the power goes out at night. And there's a montage of several villagers using oil canister lamps and candles to provide a source of light for their household. One household in particular has a tank battery that is hidden off. The idea of having to hide more modern technology is touched on in the very end of the episode, where there's a village-wide security check in households, and the head woman of the security team finds a rice cooker in one household. She emphasizes that South Korean products aren't allowed, and the woman who, use, who owns the rice cooker could get in deep trouble. Owning South Korean products compared to the less advanced technology the village uses is seen as a crime and therefore shows how North Korea heavily dislikes anything that isn't their own or anything more developed than it already is. It's seen as an invasion in their space not just physically but culturally. You are not truly North Korean if you accept capitalism and its products. In South Korea, modernization and materialism is embraced as they've adopted a democratic government and capitalist system. The materialist culture that engulfs South Koreans is a stereotype that is played often with Sari. She's always claiming how she needs a particular thing or needs more than what she already has. In episode 2, she tells Jonghyuk how she needs a certain shampoo for her hair, a specific lavender-scented candle to soothe her at night, how she only eats meat, etc. It may be a commodity in the South, but in the North, those luxuries are bought in secret. When a society industrializes under capitalism, the social relations, as they are related to the means of production, are, adjust are adjusted to suit the needs of capitalism prior to changes in a culture. This idea of how capitalism affects social relations in a space is emphasized in a few scenes. In episode 11, when Sari takes Jonghyuk shopping for clothes so he can blend in as a South Korean, the idea that the consumption of expensive and dressy clothes to look like a certain culture is upheld because in South Korea, fashion shapes who you are as a person, 
and your class and status. Sari buys Jonghyuk an abundance of expensive suits, both establishing her social status based on how much she can spend, but also establishing Jonghyuk's social status with his looks. In episode 12, Jonghyuk's troops are also in South Korea. In one scene, they're seen shopping around Sari's furniture store, pretending to be rich and uppity and fashionable in their fake designer clothes, and ordering around the staff as if they pretend they're rich enough to buy the items in the store. This is a play on the tough customer stereotype, as referred to from South Korea Society and Culture Complete Report, which Koreans are seen as competitive and confrontational as though to seem better than others. Technology plays a huge role in the show in terms of modernization. Crash Landing on You shows the use of technology in North and South Korea to also display a similarity, which is the use of technology as a security measure more than just a commodity. As shown in episode 11, Sari's front door is a digital keypad with a fingerprint scanner, and at the beginning of the episode, when Sari takes Jonghyuk to a coffee shop, she wraps his face with her scarf, stating that South Korea has CCTV and security cameras everywhere, and he would be identified right away. South Korea has what's called the Personal Information Protection Act, or PIPA, which is a data privacy statute that works in both the private and public sectors, meaning that so long as an individual is notified and gives consent, any personal information may be collected and utilized. Personal information includes their name, resident registration number, which is similar to social security numbers in the US, and even images, which in the show's case would include CCTV footage. South Korea's data privacy laws are actually quite strict, almost on a similar level to North Korea, though there is, a, though there is still a respect of privacy for citizens as individual consent is crucial in accessing data. In episode 12, one of the troop members associated with Jonghyuk searches Seri's house for any wiretaps. During Seri's time in North Korea in the show, whenever they're in a private space, such as a hotel room or a household in the more modern towns and cities, they are cautious on what they can say because government officials have wiretapped most seemingly private spaces. Even in episode 2, despite there not being any wiretapping in villages, there were still government patrols that were allowed to just come into houses, search, and basically invade privacy. Privacy doesn't necessarily exist in North Korea because the government is so strict on North Korean loyalty that if anyone is to have anything South Korean in their household or say anything out of line, they'll be caught. Crashlining on you may seem to exaggerate, downplay, or trivialize certain geopolitical realities of the divide between North and South Korea, more namely in the way Seri and Jongyuk's relationship depicts love beyond borders as commonplace between the two nations, and while ignoring the privilege that their respective class status affords such a reality. One aspect of influence worth noting is South Korea's pop culture's effect on their neighbors to the North. While the impacts of South Korean pop culture known by many of its consumers as the Korean Wave or Hallyu, have grown increasingly popular in the West following the successful breakthrough of K-pop and K-dramas in Western pop culture. The relationship between North Koreans and South Koreans in Crash Landing on You reveal a more nuanced reality of how each side views and interacts with each other, a result of each country's respective portrayal via pop culture of what life is like on the other side of the border. Sari and Jonghyuk's adjustment to living in and experiencing each other's country reflects a sort of innocent curiosity and sense of naivety that is born out of an inherent ignorance of either side created by the geopolitical divisions within the Korean peninsula. As a South Korean television series, however, 
crash landing on you primarily represents a biased perspective of only one side of the DMZ zone. The actors, writers, directors, and producers of the show may try their best to represent how they think North Koreans feel about South Korea, but at the end of the day, an inherent and obvious bias still exists as a result of representation from the North being extremely limited. While we will cover later how some North Koreans reacted to the show following its release, it is important to analyze pop culture in the show itself, depicted in the South as a Korean wave or Hallyu, and in the North possibly as a dependency on what Korean communication scholars attribute to what they call the spiral of silence, in the presence of, again, possibly hostile news coverage of South Korea, how it dramatically shapes one world's view of the other side. We see this countless times throughout the show, but we will primarily focus on Jungyuk's comrades' reaction to the Hallyu lifestyle in Seri, South Korea. As a 16-episode television series that happens to conveniently have the show's plot equally divided between the North in the first eight episodes and the South in the second half, viewers instantly see how the perspectives of certain characters from the North regarding the South gradually develop from mere speculations about life across the DMZ zone to either a sense of satisfaction or disappointment upon finally experiencing the Hallyu hype. Now, without getting too much into the details and spoiling the show for those who have not watched, it is still important to provide contextual background information about the character development of Jungyo's comrades. In this way, the juxtaposition of how pop culture influences one's navigation through space and place may be better understood. In the very first episode, viewers are introduced to Jungyo's Company 5 comrade squad, which consists of Pyu Chu Su, a snobbish and seemingly distant alcoholic who is somewhat antagonistic towards Seri as a result of propaganda-fed paranoia of all things South Korea. Gomyeon Dong, an overly emotional rookie unit member who is the sole provider for his family and often cries to return home whenever the name of his mother is mentioned. Park Kwang Bom, a more reserved and possibly the most handsome member of the team who is oblivious to his model-like looks. And Kim Joong-myuk, a K-drama fanatic who finds opportunities to always explain South Korean culture to his friends, and also acts as a sort of translating mediator between Seri and the entire Company 5 team. It is specifically through the character portrayal of Jumyuk's love and fascination for K-dramas that a thorough analysis of Hollywood's effects on consumers of the Korean wave outside of South Korea can be better examined. Upon learning that Seri had dropped from the sky into North Korea from the South, Jumyuk instantly became obsessed ignoring signs of cautious hesitation from the rest of his team with everything that the South Korean CEO and businesswoman said and or did. Seri quickly picked up on this goal-like admiration and used Jomyuk several times in North Korea to help explain her seemingly quirky antics to the rest of the boys on the team and also to a group of village women who had become some of her closest friends up until her departure from the North at the end of the first half of the series. While reality often reveals how ignorant and unaware many of us in the U.S. are to the wide-reaching influence that American pop culture has around the world, scholars who are well aware of the impacts that Hollywood has had on the contemporary world do not take its influence for granted. In acknowledging the resulting cultural and political diplomacy following the initial spread of South Korean dramas throughout Asia in the 1990s, many have been left pondering about the future implications that such a seemingly niche and non-Western pop culture influence has in societies oftentimes hostile towards outside forces. Some scholars on the topic of Hallyu admit that the culture's rise to influence is not only a result of the competitive nature of globalization, but also a product of a globalized system that depends on the collaboration of many cultural forces spread throughout the world. Thus, if we were to look at Jomyuk's obsession with South Korean culture beyond just the Korean-centric phenomenon, then viewers of the show may begin to appreciate the universal appeal that Hallyu has to offer the world, one in which no demarcated border has the jurisdiction to prevent the spread and appreciation of.
The latter half of Crash Landing on You offers an exciting adventure from the perspective of the Company Five Boys themselves. The team arrived in South Korea on a mission to bring back Jung Yuk, who himself snuck across a DMZ line to protect Seri from a disgraced North Korean hitman seeking to kidnap her and murder her as a revenge against her lover, Jung Yuk, who successfully won a case against him to have the hitman arrested for his endless laundry list of corruption scandals and crimes. Upon arrival to the South, a country they had only previously known about through K-dramas and North Korean media propaganda, they were struck in awe by how seemingly accurate Jo Myuk's detailed explanations of life in South Korea were. The boys searched everywhere throughout Seoul for Jajangmyeon, a popular food commonly eaten in K-dramas. They enjoyed the full Korean spa experience, just as any South Korean would, and they found themselves constantly in amazement at how none of the lights in the distance turned off at nighttime a frequent annoyance they were used to while living in the North. On a more conspiratorial level, the boys from Company 5, besides a knowledgeable Jum Yuk, of course, created far-reaching narratives and confirmation bias explanations for the more grotesque things that they had witnessed on the trip to the South. Couples PDA and kissing were actually signs of a capitalistic effort to distract them from their mission, and the popular K-drama tropes of amnesia-ridden lovers and the evil mother-in-law were true realities in all South Korean relationships. Even in these few glimpses of the comrades' sheer astonishment to the realities of life in South Korea, their reactions reflected the impact that pop culture, via North Korean media, had on imprinting place on their worldviews and merely every aspect of their lives. In the last few episodes, viewers also got to witness some of the more sweeter character developments unfold. Jumio got to go on a date with his favorite K-drama actress and thought that his feelings of true love for her were mutual, not knowing that the date was set up by Seri due to her close connections as a thank you gift to him. More importantly, in the show's final episode, when the Company 5 had completed their mission and were on their way back up north, Seri and Jong Yuk publicly professed their love for each other at the DMC line at the amazement of many people from the north and south watching. Despite finally being separated from each other with no communication, they eventually found each other again years later and returned frequently to the place that they had unknowingly first fell in love with each other, Switzerland, a location far removed from the geopolitical turmoil between the two Koreas, yet also symbolic of how each turned a faraway foreign space into a place of love, unity, and triumph. Throughout Crash Landing on You, we see the concepts of space, place, and identity making as extremely important in developing characters' relationships with one another. In particular, the show's sort of overarching theme of love beyond borders highlights what social psychologists Hawkins and Dixon would argue is too important a lesson to ignore. The politicization of place, for pragmatic or demographic reasons, cannot fully encapsulate the ways in which people connect with each other over space. Even as political tensions on the North Korean peninsula make unification of its people difficult to imagine, Seri and Jung Yuk's enduring love for each other, in spite of the politically divided border, offers a glimpse into the possibilities of a brighter future. Now, as we promised earlier, we can continue to analyze space, place, and pop culture beyond the show itself by means of taking into consideration actual North Korean viewers' own reaction to Crash Landing on You. Parallel to an almost inverse reaction of how Company 5 experienced a foreign place like South Korea for the first time, former citizens of North Korea have since spoken out about the similarities and differences accurately or inaccurately portrayed in the show. This is important, as viewers of the show may finally get to hear from the perspective of North Korean voices that otherwise may have been ignored in the production, writing, and directing process of the series. In a sit-down interview with BBC Korea's Subin Kim, real-life North Korean defector Kwak Moon Won, a crucial member of the show's writing team, revealed how important it was to, as accurately as possible, depict the boys of Company 5, the women of Jongyok's town village, and all characters from North Korea as more multidimensional than was previously portrayed in other South Korean dramas. 
In understanding Kwok's own personal struggles in defecting to the South, it is no wonder why such accurate depictions of North Korea and its people in South Korean pop culture is even more important. Kwok, a former bodyguard of North Korea's ruling Kim family, was forced to leave behind his wife and children in the North as mention of his critiques against the nation's communist regime was possibly leaked to upper-level bosses on a trip he previously took to Russia. While he was now safely in the South and got picked up by the show's writer as a crucial voice in detailing how life was like in the North, the BBC interview of his personal experience still had him walking on eggshells when it came to clarifying or discussing overtly with the interviewing journalist. Such hesitation to speak out anecdotally, however, is not uncommon. Based on the reaction of other real-life North Korean defectors who viewed the show upon its 2020 popular release, Kwok's influence on the writing of the film resonated with countless other former North Korean citizens. In a Washington Post coverage on the topic, defector Kang Ha Na confirmed that the media coverage in North Korea instilled within its citizens a deep disdain for South Korean military and anything related to the South's prominent pop culture. Interestingly enough, her encounter with a South Korean military man ended up almost exactly like that of Lucere's love story with Jung Yuk, as she ended up marrying him upon arrival across the border. What the show got wrong, however, were some small nuances of what life was like actually in the North. As testified by Jung Ha No, life in the North Korean military was not as easygoing and friendly camaraderie-like as depicted in the television series. Nonetheless, despite these many accounts of how true to reality crash landing on you depicted life in North Korea to be, many prominent figures of Korean unification have expounded on the importance that the show has had on portraying a three-dimensional country with relatable, even lovable people. is quite different from South Korean culture despite the two countries sharing the same language and a similar historical past before the division. In Crash Landing on You Episode 2, one of the North Korean soldiers was arguing with Yoon Sevi, the girl who got lost and accidentally wandered into North Korea territory by chance. The North Korean soldier ended up swearing at Yoon Sevi and Yoon Sevi knew he was swearing at her but she wasn't too sure what he was saying because some of the phrases were very different from South Koreans swears. Although the two were able to communicate normally, there were there are words, phrases, and jokes she was not able to understand because of the different culture. When she and Ri Jong Hyuk were talking, there were times when she did not understand if Jong Hyuk is being serious or joking. And Jung Hyuk is the man who took Ri, uh, took Ri Jung Hyuk in when she accidentally landed in North Korea. And he's a soldier. Besides the speech differences between North Korea and South Korea, there are also differences in the way they handle food. Food and the way food is handled is part of one's culture, and the way North Korea handled food is more outdated compared to uh, South Korea. Korean soldiers were preparing meat and kimchi and crashed standing on you episode 2. Yoon Se-ri was surprised on how they were preparing it. She has never seen anything like that in South Korea. For South Koreans to buy everything in store and to put their meat in the freezer and to have their kimchi's made and fermented in a factory, However, it's different for North Koreans to do the same because North Koreans' electricity is very limited, so they tend to do things more old-style, such as salting, preserving, and fermenting the meat naturally instead of using the fridge. 
main thing that differs North Korea from South Korea and the neighboring countries around North Korea is the government regime there. The space plays of North Korean of life and culture is heavily influenced and oppressed by North Korea's dictatorship. It has caused them to be impoverished, starved, lack many resources such as food, electricity, and even speech. All of that which affects itself as a cultural space, shaping it to what it is today. In one of the episodes where there was a starving boy stealing and looking for food for himself and his starving younger sister, and Yoon Zeri was nice enough to give him some food. The National Journal of Korean Unification Studies The division of the Korean Peninsula has been symbolized by electricity. With North Korea being almost completely dark and South Korea being very lighted and bustling with life. This shows that North Korea has problems gaining electricity. Although it is not stated directly by North Korea, we can physically see it through Google Images and satellite images. The lack of electricity really impacts one's culture, as we can see. Modern day culture is influenced, heavily influenced by use of technology that is supplied by electricity. The smartphone we use, the freezer we use to preserve our food for a long time, and the technology we use to harvest enough food for everyone to eat. Different case for North Korea. North Koreans aren't getting enough food because of many reasons. Some of it is due to economic reasons, and some of it may be due to lack of technological advancement and lack of electricity to advance it. Electricity is lacking in North Korea. It explains why in Crash Landing on You Episode 2, the soldiers were salting, preserving, and fermenting food in the old traditional way. They salted the food and put it in the underground cellar. Uh, they, this, is, this was to prevent food from spoilage, and since electricity was lacking, they couldn't use it sparingly to keep their food fresh. Electricity is all because of North Korea's communist dictatorship. According to the International Journal of Korean Unification Studies, this was an outcome of over-reliance on Soviet assistance. North Korea's communist dictatorship made it so that they couldn't rely or ask non-communist countries for help in sourcing electricity. When their main source of electricity, the Soviet Union, let them down, they are forced to live with limited supplies of electricity. The party is too proud to source their electricity from a non-communist countries, which were more most countries around them. It caused them to be isolated from the rest of the world. This demonstrates how North Korea's dictatorship indirectly affects North Korean culture through its lack of electricity. If the country had proper electricity, who knows what technological advancement they could achieve and what kind of life they could live. I think it will allow them to be able to live a more modern life like the rest of us, even if they are heavily oppressed speech-wise. They would be able to see the outside world more. We can see that China's communist rule has heavy censorship, but many Chinese people were, access, were able to access what we would all see by gaining a VPN. North Korea's daily life is a power shortage and lights off, even in big cities. We can see this when Yoon Se-ri and Cha Sang-woo went to Pyongyang, the capital and largest city in North Korea. Although this happens more frequently in rural parts, as we can see in Crash Landing on You Episode 2, where the entire village has to get candles when their lights turn off. This can be explained because most of the areas are outside the capital, Pyongyang, receives little power except for the industrial zones near the Chinese lake border, which import electricity from the Chinese grid. Electricity shortage have also resulted in rolling back 
blackouts throughout the capital, according to the Emergency Information Administration. It became part of their daily routine to deal with the problem with electricity and using candles for lights, which shows how the lack of electricity does shape how people live and ultimately their culture in the end. According to the Energy Information Administration, after North Korea lost their major trading partner with the Soviet Union when the Soviet Union dissolved, North Korea's economy began to deteriorate. This made North Korea have difficulties getting power and electricity because without subsidized oil from the Soviet Union, North Korea has faced challenges in meeting its energy demand and has struggled with energy shortage for several decades. North Korea relies on coal, hydropower, and petroleum products for most of its energy needs. The renewable energy such as biomass, waste, and solar panels also supply energy in the residential sector. Despite how many countries start to use more electricity because of the advancement of modern technology, North Korea's electricity consumption dropped by more than 33 billion kilowatts in 1990 to 16 uh, BKW by 2000. The country experienced chronic electricity shortage and a deterioration deteriorating industrial sector. Electricity consumption fell to 11 billion kilowatts in 2015 as a result of major drought that caused massive power out, out, outage. Koreans do view themselves powerful internationally and domestically. They are proud of their country and their culture. We can see this in the episode where the soldier under Cha sang who uh, him and Yu Se-ri gathered up to drink and eat clams together. One of the North Korean soldiers quizzed Yu Seri on North Korean culture and words, and Yu Seri said those also exist in South Korea. The North Korean soldier laughed at Yu Seri in disbelief, thinking their culture is the only one with taxis and other common things. They are proud of their country and do not know much about other countries. This can be explained in Car- Carter Matherly's journal that states that North Korea is a close nation where news from the outside world really makes it a bridge to the citizens within. He also states that the North Korean government controls the amount of information that its citizens officially have access to. The North Korean government has propaganda shown to its citizens with power, projection, motivation, and culture. This shows how much the dictatorship controls the North Korean culture and the citizens' perception of themselves and their countries. There is propaganda showing how strong North Korea is, how great the leader is, and what to think about. There are radios in everyone's household that have propaganda, and the North Korean citizens are made to believe that is the truth and the way to live their life. The aspect that shapes everyone's lives is cell phones. In today's society, almost every adult and teenager has a smartphone. They connect with the world or surf the internet. However, that is one of the cultural differences between North Korean and many developed nations like South Korea. Many with you, there are multiple episodes where the usage of cell phones is rare, but they are in North Korea. Not every person has a smartphone, and cell phones are a huge deal in North Korea. A citizen calling someone outside of the country must be done secretly, like it was done in Crash Landing with you. There are about 24 million people in North Korea, and it is reported that about 2 million people have a cell phone. But even then, that number is estimated to be an overestimate. The 
most North Koreans do not use cell phones. And if we do the math using overestimated numbers, only about 8% of the population in North Korea is using cell phones. This can explain how most people in North Korea in crash landing with you do not use cell phones, especially in the rural parts, in comparison to Pyongyang, the, the North Korean capital. Few rich and at least using cell phones. It is also so that business people were allowed to use cell phones. Some of you crash landing on you as a typical Korean drama, complete with a seemingly unexpected love story, bits of comedic relief, and a well-developed plot that has viewers enthralled on binge-watching its entirety in one sitting. The show also manages to successfully incorporate a more unorthodox approach in portraying life in Korea as more complex than meets the eye. In this podcast episode of Cultural Projection, we discuss how people of the Korean peninsula, like all of us who inhabit space on this earth, are implicated in the culture of their surrounding geographies. From the historic and geopolitical tensions that fundamentally divided Korea into two separate yet similar worlds that embrace modernization in different ways, to the influence of pop culture on Korean people's understanding, experience, and interaction with the other side, and finally, to the impacts of politics and its ideological influence on shaping the future of an entire nation's people, Crash Landing on You reveals cultural geography's formulation of space and place as ever more relevant in the day-to-day -day lives of those living in the two Koreas. While Seri and Jungyuk's fictional romance may have mirrored that of any K-drama, the portrayal of the show's lessons on politics, culture, and geography reflects a unique story not too far-fetched from reality.